2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you are using a pew Bible, page number is 1068. Once you've made it there, say, give me faith. All right, sounds like most of us are there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, like I said, we're glad that you're here and we have a service full of exciting things. Um, Today is going to be just a little bit different. We just ended um, a long sermon series on spiritual gifts. But just as a way of preface, next week going into sort of, um, man, can you believe that Thanksgiving is like right around the corner, right? It's crazy. And then we'll roll into Advent. But we're going to start a new sermon series next week entitled Attitude Adjustment. So bring your kids, right? Maybe some of you parents need one too. I need one, right? Um, But hey, we want to look at what the scriptures teach about that and why that's important. So it's always a great time. Uh, Invite someone who has a bad attitude, right? And then they can come and that'll be a great time. But um, today I wanted to sort of tie all that's happening. There's a common theme through um, these parents, what you've just seen. We did this in the first service as well. We're going to come to the Lord's table for those of us who are baptized followers of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to see um, more people be baptized. So there's a, there's a thread running through everything today. And this is a little bit different of a message than I normally give. And what we'll do is we'll look at the text and we'll build the context around it. Because the point of the message comes from the Bible, right? Oh, I'll give you another go at it. Because the point of the message comes from the Bible, right? Right, yeah. And then I'm going to share an experience um, with you, and then we will tie it together um, with some application. 2 Corinthians is probably one of the most personal letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, maybe apart from 1 and 2 Timothy, that he wrote right before he died. In 2 Corinthians, what Paul is doing is he's defending his ministry to a church that's almost turning its back from him. He loved them, he, the, the, the church planted, but now what they're doing is they're sort of questioning Paul, and he's literally defending who he is, and he's so heartbroken through the whole letter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's talking about being the minister of the gospel. But what's interesting is, is that he uses the words we and us as ministers, and oftentimes, when you think of minister, you're thinking of what I'm doing now or somebody in vocational ministry, which is true. But what we also understand is that each and every believer is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul's narrowing it down and he's saying, hey, we are also ministers of this good gospel. But then he says that we have this treasure This treasure. What's the treasure? Well, he actually tells us in verse 6. Look at what he says. Are you looking at your Bible? Got your Bible? You have a fake Bible on your phone? I'll let that slide. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's the treasure? The gospel. That's the treasure. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that God is reconciling a broken world in humanity through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever should call upon His name would be saved. It's the best news. It's the good news. That's this treasure that Paul's talking about. 
But then he says, we have it in jars of clay. Jars of clay. Great name for a band, right? Jars of clay. Um, Jars of clay. What what you've got to know about ancient times is um, jars of clay, they weren't the fancy stuff. Like, you guys remember, maybe at your house or your grandma's house, there's the fancy stuff, right? And I'm still waiting on the time when we use the fancy dishes, When are we using those, man? We never use those. But we have to dust them and we have to clean them and God forbid we ever use them, right? But what he's saying is jars of clay um, carried water for traveling. Every home had them. They were easy to make. And and the equivalent today, quite honestly, is is like um, styrofoam cups. It's like to-go orders, you know, if you will. Do you see the compare and contrast? Paul says that as ministers, that God's doing something in our lives. We have this treasure, but it's in sort of broken vessels, us, our lives. And and, and it's funny, just right out of the gate, and the theme all through 2 Corinthians is it's not really our strengths, right? So the gospel is not, hey, you're awesome. God thought you were so awesome that he needed you on his team, and you're awesome. Right? The gospel is, you're not awesome. Welcome to Westside. Right? We're glad you're here. Okay? You're not awesome. But you're weak. But God still pursues you even, even in your weakness. But Paul, he answers the question, why is something so valuable and so powerful, like the gospel message, the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this, and broken vessels? So that, the text says, the, that the surpassing Power belongs to God and not to us. To show that, to show that it's not in your strengths or any of that, but rather that God is doing something. So listen, here's here's what I want you to understand and here's what we're seeing all through the service today. It's this. God works in my weakness. That's it. What you just saw with these parents was not, we're strong, we're awesome, we're better, our kids are better. It was, dear Lord, help us, right? We need the church. You gave us this baby, we're giving this baby back. What you're going to see in baptism is, I'm not strong. Jesus is Lord of my life. That God works in our weakness. Now, Here's what it's not. It's not, oh, I'm weak, and then God works in my life, and then I'm strong again. No. And really, this is something that the principle that I almost despise in the Scripture. Grace rolls downhill. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And what Paul is saying is, it's that we remain weak, and we see God working in the weakness. Now, that's great on a bumper sticker. That's great in the morning for your little cup of coffee and devotion and mm, Jesus storybook and Jesus calling and praise him, right? Love that. That's great. I'll go about my day. But what does it really look like? What does it really look like? Um, many of you know I'm, I'm the youngest of four boys in my family. And this is a picture. We've got our cousin Wes in there who's kind of like a fifth brother. Um, I'm the youngest, which means I'm the best, because babies are the best. And all the babies said, amen. Amen. We're not awesome, it's just we're better than everyone else. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm just kidding. Um, But I I grew up a preacher's kid. Uh, My dad was an evangelist, pastor all my life. Um, my, My oldest brother, who's in the picture, John. John's 15 years older than me. And John's been like a superhero in my life. Um... 
big brother. There were times where I would rather my own father get on to me than John get on to me, right? I mean, he was just this epic guy, and he sort of paved the way for all of us. If you ask my parents who gave them the most trouble, they'll say John and Jason, bar none, hands down for sure. I remember, I said this in the first serve, I remember when John came home from college, and it was like kind of like mid-90s, and so he had the mullet, business in the front, party in the back, like the whole thing going on, but he had a dangly earring. And I remember him walking in the door, and I was like, it's about to go down right now in our house, man. But John, that was John. It was like John paved the way in all of that stuff. If I could describe my brother in one word, it would be driven. John's just a driven individual. Competed in Ironman competition. I mean, he's done all types of stuff. John's been strong, very strong my whole life. He's 15 years older. There was a period where he was like lifting weights and stuff, and he would come back from college. It was just, John was epic to me. Um, and John struggled in life, just like we all have. But I've, I've watched it like a movie happen. Um, John was in construction and um, got, got married young and started a construction business from, from nothing. Got very successful, moved to Columbia, Missouri during, during the construction boom. Sort of everything was happening, and um, there was something kind of creeping in in his life, and, and John was hitting the bottle. Always kind of had it, you know, maybe under control, not really. And if you're in here today, you don't have it under control. You're not the exception, and it will cost you everything. So I just need to get that out of the way. But then it sort of developed more and more as success came. So, so he was getting the earnings of the strength and the hard work. And um, then it sort of caved in and the addiction was exposed. And um, law enforcement was involved in an altercation. And, and John um, got, got sober for a period of time. And, and again, he, he, he struggled, showed his strength, There was a weakness, but then he filled in the cracks with his own strength. He was strong again. I'm going to beat this. Bootstraps, I'm going to work hard. He gets sober, and then the economy crashes, and he goes bankrupt. Gets sober, strong, bankrupt. I can do this. So he moves his family down to Dallas, Texas, works insane hours. I'm strong. I can fill the cracks with my own strength. I can do this. And he does it. Gets them out of financial debt, um, out of bankruptcy. I mean, it was just incredible. And then some things started to creep in on the marriage. And John and his wife got a divorce, and they have two kids. So now there's a little bit of brokenness. But, but what do you do? I mean, you, you fill it with your strength. You, you, you do this thing. And so I've gone through the addiction. I've gone through bankruptcy. I can get through a divorce, be a single dad with two kids. So he moves back to Columbia, and the addiction creeps up. John said that he learned in those years that he was sober, he actually wasn't sober. Um, They call it being a dry drunk. Just because you're not drinking doesn't mean your mindset's changed. You're still viewing life through the way you've always dealt with it. So now, what do we do? There's a moment of weakness. The pressure's coming in. I can do this. I am strong, driven, effort. I can make this happen. And this time it was different. And last spring, um, over 200 days ago, I got a phone call from my brother Joe in Jonesboro, and they said um, they found John in his car with a gun, and his blood alcohol was about four times the legal limit. We don't know if he's okay. And there was a period for about four hours where we didn't know. Come to find out, John um, was going to take his life. The pressure was too much, and the cracks were being revealed, and he didn't have enough strength. And so he drove out into the deer woods with his rifle, 
drank himself comatose, and luckily a friend found out what was happening, and the authorities came. Um, the way that it, the event happened was everyone was out of town, and so my brother served what they call a 72, which is a psychiatric evaluation whenever you go in, if you try to take your life. And so I hopped in my car, drove up to Columbia, Missouri, waited in the lobby at University Hospital in Columbia, and saw my brother walk out the hallway. And he wasn't the superhero. This was different. And so I was with John for about four days as he was meeting with lawyers and he was having to do all types of stuff. And then he started the process. He had never worked a program before. Um, because why? I'm, I'm strong enough. I'll just fill the cracks with my own strength, right? I don't need anybody. So he started working the program, and I waited out in the parking lot um, while, while he was doing his program. And he got back in the car for one of the first ones. And I said, how was he? He said, it was about the dumbest thing ever. I was like, why? He's like, everybody's just sitting around complaining all the time. Like, let's go do something, man, right? And um, his attitude began to change as he realized he's never shown the cracks before. He's filled them in with his own strength. And in a room... Being broken, it doesn't matter if it's alcohol, heroin, cocaine, none of that. Those are all the fruit. And, and, and you know this if, if you struggle with addiction or, or somebody in your family does. Becoming sober is not the only goal. It's not just sobriety. Because once you become sober, you have to deal with life now. And oftentimes that's when people relapse because it's not just becoming sober and not blank doing something, right? It's now how I need to know my wife again, my husband, my kids. I, I'm a different person. And your cracks in your life, the brokenness is now on display. And what are you going to do? So John has been working the program for a while. And um, I called him and I have full permission to tell all of this. And um, as of today, my brother is, is over um, 200 days sober today, which is really cool. Yeah, really cool. But about two months ago, um, if it wasn't for somebody staying at the house and hearing the garage door open, he said, I was headed to the gas station. I was going. The pressure came again. Life. And the cracks, what am I going to do? I can't reach for my own strength because look at the legacy that it's left. There's broken pieces everywhere. So that day, he went to a counseling session and just was complaining and what's going on and it's too hard and it's too difficult. And the counselor listened. And then she said, John, I'm going to tell you one word. And I want you to leave and I want you to go home and look it up. John said, okay. She said, Kintsugi. John said, I'm sorry, come again? Kintsugi. He said, okay. That's what it looks like in Japanese. The story behind Kintsugi is, is that a Japanese emperor had his favorite teacup and dropped it and broke it and believed that there was something unique about that teacup. So he sent it off to get it repaired, and when it came back, he didn't like the way it looked. So he incorporated some of the best Japanese sculptors to remake the teacup. Thus, the art of Kintsugi was born, but this time to fill in the broken cracks, they use gold. And so now they build these beautiful vases and whatever, and then they break it. And then they put it back together using gold. And now an item that was valuable is more valuable 
now that it's broken. And the cracks show the beauty of the gold mold that's used to put it back together. Now, back to the text. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing value belongs to God and not to us. Listen, the Christian life is not about being strong. The Christian life is admitting your brokenness and your need because God promises to work in my weaknesses. That's the goal behind it. That's the point of it. And my brothers had to learn a number of things now, not to hide that or fill that in with something else, but rather in the brokenness, it shows the beauty. And so the application is, the the first thing is, is that you have to confess your weakness. That's what Paul is doing in the text. He's saying, listen, I'm not Superman. I'm not anybody. I am a jar of clay, and God has chosen to work in weakness. Now, the difference, what's the antithesis of that? Not confessing your weakness is hiding it, right? And that's pride. Pride tries to hide the cracks, so you can't see any of that. And there's false sense of pride. And when it comes to false sense of humility, which is self-deprecation and self-pity, oh, I'm so broken. Oh, there's too many pieces. Oh, everything's so difficult. Oh, we call you Eeyore here at Westside. How's it going, Eeyore? Okay, I guess. It's a pretty day, Eeyore. I guess it is for you. That's at, you're prideful because you are still at the center of that. And so rather than trying to maybe hide the cracks, your, your cracks become your, your identity. But when we confess our weakness, what we're saying is, here they are. God is working in my brokenness and in my weakness. And some of you grew up in homes where we don't talk about it. You better not cry and you better not tell your preacher or your school teacher about what happened. And listen, I need to tell you that that's a lie. And that will be a cancer in your life. And that will erode the foundation of everything for you. Because I know what you're thinking. If people really know, they won't really love me. And the beauty of the gospel is, God knows, and He knows everything, and yet He still pursues you. In Christ, confess your weakness. The second thing is this, is is you have to use it. You have to use your weakness. It's not just, you don't just stand there and confess it, but you have to move beyond it and use it. This is the actual description of the art of kintsugi. The kintsugi technique suggests many things. We shouldn't throw away broken objects. When an object breaks, it doesn't mean that it's no more useful. Its breakage can become valuable. We should try to repair things because sometimes in doing so, we obtain more valuable objects. This is the essence of the art of kintsugi. Some of you have gone through horrific things in your life. Sexual abuse, heartache, betrayal. Some of the closest people around you, your parents, your loved ones, you trusted them and they hurt you. And you thought you've had to hide those cracks. But do you know that 
exposing those is literally how the light shines through, right? We teach it to our kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. How can light shine through an object that has no cracks? But it's only through the cracks that the light shines. And so when you're in community group and you say, yeah, I struggle with this, or when you hear of someone's story and someone's gone through this addiction or that betrayal or this brokenness or this thing in marriage, do you know what will be a detriment to your marriage? Hiding yours and exposing your spouse's. That's the essence of winning, is don't look, but I'm going to expose that. And when you do that, you're only bringing more harm. But rather, when you use your weakness as iron sharpens iron, so one brother and sister sharpens another, rather than trying to win, use your weakness and say, I need help in this area. And would you help me? Well, that'll end an argument quick, right? Somebody's ready and they've got the argument. And you know what? And you're wrong. You've always done this and you just hit them with, you know what? You're right and I'm sorry. Can you help me with that? Just watch the look on their face. It's going to be like, okay, I get, what do we need to pray right now? Or like, I mean, like a soft answer turns away wrath. Confess your weakness. Use your weakness. And then the last thing is this which John says is the most difficult thing that he's had to learn. Trust God's strength. Faith. John says that he wakes up every day and it's a conscious choice to trust God. And one of the most beautiful things, I've got to have these conversations with my brother, but one day he called and he said, man, tell me about grace. Because I don't get it. I've had to earn everything. I've had to be strong my whole life. I've had to show all. I could never expose this. What is grace? And there's something in me, John said, that rises up when I hear about God's unmerited, unearned favor over my life, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Something rises up in me, and I want to reject that because I don't deserve it. To which my response was, you don't. That's why it's grace. And in that moment, God promises to work through my weakness. Listen to this verse found in Isaiah. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You know that that's available for you in your life. But now let's go to the theological deep end. God showed us this. That he works in weakness. For the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he said, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you, the Passover. And as he's sitting at a table with his betrayer there, he took some bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, this is my body. Listen, God works through weakness because God came in weakness in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and through the brokenness of Jesus' body, the beauty of the gospel shines forth. That's why when you come to this table, it is broken bread, and the juice represents the blood that was shed. God did not keep himself whole, but broke himself so the beauty of the gospel would shine forth. So now my question to you is simply this. What do you need to do? If there's beauty in the brokenness, and if God promises to work in the weakness, is it a phone call? Is it a text message? What is it? Please hear today that you are valuable and that you are loved. And the brokenness reveals the beauty. The text message that John sent me, I said, what all do you want me to tell? And he said, tell it all. Because the damage is the most beautiful part. The gospel is the only thing that can do that. And in just a moment, you're going to see people in a baptistry who are saying, God is working in my weakness. I tap out. I surrender. I'm no longer Lord of my own life, but Jesus is. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And I don't know what you need to do or what this application means to you today. But I do know this, that there's beauty in the brokenness and that everything's useful and that you are valuable in the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we're grateful for the good news of the gospel that you make masterpieces out of broken pieces. That it is in our weak vessels of our lives and of our brokenness that the beauty of the gospel shines forth. And God, I pray that for somebody today that it is a reckoning for them, that they would understand that they don't need to hide the cracks anymore. Listen, I've had this thing going on in my life, and yes, this relationship has crossed barriers and lines, and I've got outside of God's will here, and I did, and all of that. And you promise in the moment of weakness, you will work. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And as we come to the table, and we see weakness, and we see the power of the gospel working, I pray that it would send a message out all in through eternity that you promise to work in our weakness. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at? If you're a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, we would ask you to come and partake in the elements as you feel led today.